Hi there, this is Eric Markowitz and I'm Warm Capital's Director of Research. Today I'll be reading our firm's Q2 2021 investor letter. The theme of this letter is, quote, the rebels are winning. For performance information and any other questions about our firm, please visit our website at wormcapital.com. Dear partners, as of the end of the quarter, our core holdings, which accounted for over 90% weighting of the long book, were Tesla, Spotify, Shopify, Airbnb, and Amazon. Notable sales in the quarter included Netflix and Tencent Music. The drawdown and volatility in prices also gave us entry points into two-year leap call options in our long short fund focused on names in our core holdings. Some of the action and news flow we saw on Tesla over the last six months was eerily similar to what we observed in the first six months of 2019 when we saw 40% drawdown in the equity from January to June before a significant run in the second half of the year and into 2020. While that, of course, does not mean the same thing will happen in 2021, we tend to believe the twin quote that history never repeats itself, but it does often rhyme. The options market for high growth business models tends to be fairly priced and thus not worth the premium, but occasionally, especially during bouts of volatility and when the market is panicking, we are able to scoop up two-year call options at a fraction of what we think they should be worth. We'll never put more than a few points of our total capital into our options book, but when we spot an attractive risk-reward scenario with a two-year outlook that has the potential for a significantly levered return, we like the upside optionality it creates for the partnership and our strategies. Historically, we've had some notable successes on these trades in the past, and we're hopeful we may see a similar outcome. Our shorts, which have worked against us throughout the year so far, are much more heavily diversified, but focused on sectors of the market that we believe face terminal decline. Firms across the oil and gas industry, combustion engine-based business models, brick-and-mortar retailers, and so on. Though many of these value names had a strong showing in the first half of 2021, we think their long-term outlooks are in decline. As of right now, very few short positions of ours exceed even 0.5% weighting, but we are gearing up for some potential opportunities on the short side, particularly across the legacy automotive industry when the time is right. We'll be patient there. Throughout the quarter, you may have noticed that we averaged into a significant position in Airbnb. Though the stock has been a relative underperformer since its February highs, we are highly confident about the company's prospects and its ability to generate meaningful compounded returns over time. Some history. We've been following Airbnb's journey for several years, long before the company went public earlier this year. In fact, nine years ago, in November 2020, I actually profiled the company for Inc. in an article titled, Airbnb is Changing Travel. Whenever we underwrite a new investment, we look for a few key attributes that help us determine the potential long-term value of a business, as well as its risks. In particular, we focus on management. Are they founders? Do they have skin in the game? Are they playing the long game? Addressable market size. How big is the opportunity? It's relative growth and creativity to expand. Are they constantly innovating to make the product better for their customers? Margin expansion. Where can we find operating leverage in the model? Its status in the industry. Are they the dominant player? Can they take market share from incumbents? Business risks. What are we missing? Are customers dissatisfied? What do employees say? And so on. There are probably a dozen more elements that are critical to our process. It's only then do we take out the pencils and do the valuation work. In short, Airbnb fulfills pretty much every element of a business model that we're attracted to. First, it's a highly scalable marketplace-based business model that unites buyer and seller with observable flywheel effects. 
This is an important observation in that the platform creates significant economic value for millions of hosts who rely on Airbnb, which in turn attracts new hosts who identify the opportunity, which creates more inventory, which in turn attracts more travelers, which attracts more hosts, and so on. Second, the platform has a global focus with significant opportunities to expand its operating leverage. Third, its management, which is still founder-led, stands out to us as long-term thinkers capable of handling crisis, which the team demonstrated throughout the pandemic by dropping operating costs and turning the business into a more efficient, lean organization. Like Winston Churchill once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. We also think that there are several other intangible tailwinds, both benefiting and enabled by Airbnb. In particular, the very nature of travel is changing longer stays, more flexible remote work policies, and so on. As its marketplace matures, we see significant similarities to our position in Shopify, an international focus led by managers who understand that in a land grab environment, focusing on its unique value proposition for its sellers, i.e. keep costs low, improve the platform with additional features, etc., takes precedent over the short-term earnings. In other words, we like businesses that play the long game. Unlike Airbnb, Shopify drove positive attribution this past quarter. Still, we think this opportunity is still vastly undervalued over the long term. Last year, in the Q2 2020 investor letter, we wrote a bit about the similarities and differences between Amazon and Shopify, but concluded they both display winner-take-most dynamics in their respective domains. We still believe that thesis is true. E-commerce is still, relatively speaking, in its early days. Despite the pandemic push, e-commerce retail still represents less than 15% of overall retail sales per latest Fed data. What that means in practice is that the opportunity for low-end disruption, i.e. create a scalable backbone for sellers to launch e-commerce businesses cheaply, is an enormous underappreciated opportunity to create new economic value. Shopify is growing its GMV at high velocity. 114% year-over-year in its most recent quarter to over $37 billion. But it's a tricky business to value, which is good. We like tricky valuations. Our research process looks out several years into the future, which is really the only way to value a business properly, especially in a disruptive environment. Trying to look at potential short-term earnings or even a simple price-to-sales multiple is not a good way to model out valuations on Shopify. When thinking about a position like Shopify, we view them as a generational company, much like Amazon, that is building the global infrastructure to enable small and medium-sized businesses to transact online and, most importantly, keep their unique identity and branding. Where Amazon optimizes for efficiency, Shopify optimizes for experience. The scale of this opportunity is vast and Shopify's reach is wide. Their focus, much like Airbnb, is keeping costs low for sellers attracting new vendors, and improving the ecosystem for merchants. The rebels are winning, Shopify president Harley Finkelstein said recently in a quote we like so much we made at the title of this letter. We are betting on a different version of the future of commerce. We are making it possible for every business to present their brand in their own unique way. A stark contrast to selling on a centralized marketplace, he said. Some important key insights to think about regarding a position like Shopify, but really our entire portfolio. Earnings do not equal value in a land grab environment. It's a winner-take-all landscape, with the internet being the catalyst. Business is a competition to deliver the best value proposition. And volatility is not risk. 
As investors, we are simply trying to grow our pile of assets over time. It's simple, but not easy. Both Tesla and Spotify underperformed in the quarter, but we maintain our high conviction in the long-term thesis on each business model. Much like art or writing, investment research is a continuous process. It never really ends. Prices can move in either direction in any given quarter, but our advantage often comes down to knowing the businesses so well that short-term fluctuations in pricing shouldn't affect our decision-making. On high-conviction positions, this patience is often rewarded, which is why research is so valuable to our process. Myself and Dan spoke a bit about this concept of optionality regarding both Spotify and Tesla on the recent Good Investing podcast, but the gist of the idea is this. We believe both companies have multiple ways to win. We have written extensively about both companies in the past, but just to offer some brief updated views on Tesla. Tesla is in a class of its own. What many in the market seem to still not understand is that Tesla is not a car company so much as a complex manufacturing firm with significant recurring software potential, growing, in our view, at a targeted rate of 50 to 100% year over year over the next several years. Unlike any other automotive firm in existence today, Tesla alone is a vertically integrated hardware and software business developing state-of-the-art manufacturing techniques that will revolutionize the auto industry. It is a generational company and we anticipate it will eventually be the largest company in the world. Many of the conventional narratives around competition displacing Tesla's lead are fundamentally flawed, and the many headlines surrounding Tesla's approach to autonomy are frustratingly superficial. On Spotify, Spotify has more than 350 million users. 158 million of them are paid users. The company has multiple catalysts for improved operating leverage over time. While the headline focus tends to revolve around margins and lack of current earnings, few on Wall Street seem to recognize the long-term potential here. Spotify is focused on a land grab of users while simultaneously innovating on the platform to create new margin-heavy lines of revenue. For example, its podcasting advertising platform, live events, virtual events, direct monetization, etc. Last May, when Spotify was trading under $200, we wrote that Spotify should be a $500 stock. We maintain that view. Clearly, performance this year has been lackluster, but nothing particularly out of the ordinary. We've gone through periods of like this before, and we almost certainly will again in the future. We don't claim to be market timers. Our advantage comes down to time and duration. Historically, drawdowns have created solid entry points for investors to add additional capital in our strategies. Of course, the future is uncertain, but what we do know is that the businesses that we own are meeting and often exceeding our internal expectations, and we like the momentum heading into 2022 and beyond. At a high level, we could not imagine a better investment landscape for stock selection over the next decade. Lots of change, lots of upheaval. We're also seeing plenty of misinformation and short-term superficial research out of Wall Street, which is excellent. Efficiency means businesses get priced at fair value. If everything is efficient, we lose our edge. The consequence of all this chaos, however, can be short-term volatility. This is core to our belief structure as a firm, and it's why we think the next decade could provide such an attractive return profile for concentrated strategies. Traditional Wall Street investment analysis tends to value businesses by looking backwards but all value is created in the future. And that future, we believe, belongs to the innovators, not the incumbents. One of the more fanciful tales being told right now is that companies like Exxon are, quote, pivoting to renewables, and that General Motors and Ford are, quote, reinventing themselves as electric vehicle manufacturers. We are short both. 
Over the last six months, especially during this recent, quote, rotation from growth to value, we think the market is making a critical error. It's significantly underestimating the potential for many established firms, the incumbents, to face obsolescence in the next several years. Because the market tends to focus on short-term noise, it often misses the longer-term existential issues for businesses around the world. And we think there are many, especially across the energy industry, where many incumbents have been disastrously slow to move away from fossil fuels, and the combustion engine-based automotive industry that is just now waking up to the terrifying reality that they are not prepared for the future of electric transportation. And it's not just that the incumbents are slow to adapt, which they are, but that we think there will only be increasing consolidation in a small handful of winners across the industrial landscape. In previous decades, the market share among businesses in a specific sector tended to be relatively distributed among several firms. This made sense. That was a result of relative lack of transparency, regional tribalism, personal relationships, and so on. But if all information was readily accessible, if customers knew exactly which business offered the best value proposition, market share would quickly consolidate into the top company. This is happening now. The principal agent of this change is the internet. Some 20 years ago, the internet became the catalyzing force for this era of disruption that we are living through today. The internet created an ecosystem of transparency where customers could easily distinguish which business offered the best value proposition. Everyone is connected, no one wants second best. This dynamic has created a force function, an imperative, for how investors must think about valuation frameworks. But for now, let's just focus on the core of the issue. The new economic and industrial reality, as we see it, is shaped by winner-take-all dynamics. Informally, we call this the, quote, one-room hypothesis. When everyone is connected, there's little reason for second, third, or fourth place finishers. There are no intermediaries. Everyone is linked. There are quick responses, less cycles, and most importantly, winner takes the goods. We have seen elements of this play out across the search landscape, i.e. Google, and across the smartphone segment, i.e. Apple, but we increasingly believe this dynamic will royal new sectors like energy, transportation, retail, entertainment, and so on. It's an up for grabs business environment and the economy is being reimagined. The theme of last quarter's letter was all about getting into position. We can't predict what prices will do this quarter or the next, but what we can say with a near certain degree of certainty is this. It is an imperative to get into position for the next decade of industrial consolidation. Hyper-disruptive companies are threatening the legacy incumbents at accelerating speeds. Like Harley says, quote, the rebels are winning. Amidst this paradigm shift, our credo is simple. Investors must get into position. When innovation is about to be realized and when fabulous opportunity is in sight, we have our own mandate to get our partners into position to fully participate in innovation. In Q2, we sold our last remaining Netflix lots after first purchasing shares in 2014. Frankly, we believe our entry and exit makes a good case study for how we think about building a position over time and ultimately exiting. When we first bought Netflix in 2014, this was a common headline we recall seeing in 2014 and 2015. The headline reads, Netflix is an obvious short if you can ride out the bubble. In the early days of our position, Netflix was a very volatile position with regular 10% plus swings in either direction. While that sort of volatility can make many uncomfortable, it was attractive to us as investors. Why? Well, it told us the market still didn't know how to properly value the opportunity. Initially, that's an element that attracts us to certain companies, complexity and valuation. 
Not all complex companies will perform nearly as well as Netflix, of course, but stable, simple-to-understand companies don't provide much asymmetric upside if the market has already figured it out. In the early days of our Netflix position, we recall that many on Wall Street seemed to hate the stock. They deemed it structurally unprofitable, a loser to the studios, etc. But they failed to see how, over the long term, Netflix was attempting to build a powerful, free cash flow machine with a magnificent global opportunity. Reed Hastings and his team deserve all the credit in the world for sticking true to their long-term mission. So, why did we finally sell? In essence, we believe the company began to trade at parity with its intrinsic value, i.e. where price meets value, which is ultimately where our edge begins to decay. If a stock is priced rationally, then upside is limited. And given other opportunities we see in the market, we believe our fund's capital is better deployed into higher conviction, higher upside companies. These companies may be more volatile, i.e. Tesla or Spotify, but we also believe that's an indication that the market is still figuring out how to value them. We learned a great deal from our years studying the Netflix model and will continue to follow the evolution of the company. In our experience, however, it's worth pointing out that the most contrarian or divisive companies where opinions diverge, well, these are the companies to pay most attention to. Another position we mostly exited over the quarter was China's Tencent Music. We've long admired Tencent Music, China's largest music streaming company, because of its similarities to Spotify and its dominant status in the audio industry. It's a company with roughly 840 million users, with 72 million paid users growing at 30% year over year. We like the multiple monetization opportunities the company presents, from live virtual events to audiobooks to premium membership. At its core, it's a healthy, growing business. Unfortunately, the market is filled with curveballs. During Q2, TME and many other Chinese technology firms got swept up in the liquidation of Archigos Capital, which severely impacted their share prices. There were also increased regulatory concerns coming from the Chinese government. Both factors have made investing in Chinese equities more complicated, at least in the short term. TME was a relatively small position for us, but we decided to exit the equity position in May, although we kept our leaps, to focus capital elsewhere until we can get more clarity on the situation. In general, much like March 2020, when we lose visibility on a position, we like to reduce our exposure, which limits our risk. Winding down here, this quarter, prices overall didn't go our way, but we rest easy knowing that we own extraordinarily innovative business models run by world-class operators who we believe are all poised for a decade-long run of sustained growth. In our view, each of the businesses we own are deeply complex organizations with ample upside optionality. To find future value, you have to look forward to the future. And over the long term, we're hugely bullish on this market and the opportunity it presents to compound out at extremely attractive returns. More often than not, it takes patience and perseverance, but we're still early in the days of our journey. As always, if you have any questions, you should feel free to reach out to us. Sincerely, Worm Capital. Our team is composed of founder and CIO Arnie Allison, Chief Operating Officer Zach Glash, Director of Portfolio Management Daniel Crowley, Director of Research, that's me, Eric Markowitz, Director of Investor Relations Philip Land, and Head of Compliance Emily Bullock. Disclosures. This has been prepared for information purposes only. This information is confidential and for the use of the intended recipients only. It may not be reproduced, redistributed, or copied in whole or in part for any purpose without the prior written consent form capital. 
The opinions expressed herein are those of Worm Capital and are subject to change without notice. This is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any fund managed by Worm Capital. Such an offer will be made only by an offering memorandum, a copy of which is available to qualifying potential investors upon request. This material is not financial advice or an offer to sell any product. Worm Capital reserves the right to modify its current investment strategies and techniques based on changing market dynamics or client needs. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Returns are presented net of investment advisory fees and include the reinvestment of all income. Worm Capital Management LLC is an independent investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940 as amended. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. More information about Worm Capital, including our investment strategies and objectives, can be found in our ADV Part 2, which is available upon request.